0: Well, thank you so much, Victoria, and thank you uh, for having me here this morning and this evening. It's a real joy to be back amongst you. And can I say, too, thank you so much as a church for all your support for the Reeds. And I know Andrew was here this morning, and he was saying that on behalf of himself and Ruth and their family. But I'm here, I suppose, on behalf of the mission to say how much we appreciate the support that Baptist Missions has given, uh, that you've given to Baptist Missions over the years, and um, to, to Andrew and Ruth and their family particularly. And you know, it always, something always goes wrong When a Baptist mission is working, I can say this from experience, something always goes wrong when you're in deputation. Uh, And here's Andrew over here. Matthew's broken his arm in that football accident, uh, or basketball accident, as we heard this morning. And uh, something always happens. So hopefully that's the only happening that's going to take place for them while Andrew's away. But I know it's Ruth's birthday, I think, on next Sunday. Um, So he's not going to be there for that either. Um, So uh, just pray for him, particularly over these next couple of weeks. It's hard to. You leave home, you come here, you're here for a couple of weeks, you go from church to church, you're in a different bed. He's with his in-laws. I know what that's like as well, because I stayed with mine when I come up here too. So that has its, its difficulties as well. Um, but uh, just pray for him on the road as well, that God will keep him safe uh, in all that he does. But it's a real joy to be back with you this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And we're thinking about mission. Uh, and I suppose, really, uh, when we think about mission, we think of those words, don't we, of the Lord Jesus, who said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's the verse on the bottom of your superb missions map. And you know what? In my new role now, I'm beginning to judge, well, judge is too strong a word, but I'm beginning to kind of look at churches in terms of how well or how good their missions board is. Um, some churches, you know, have Baptist missionaries on their board or other missionaries who've either gone to glory or don't serve that mission anymore, or their children are maybe 15 years younger, younger on the board than they were and so on. So really impressed, took home today, found one on my, in the pew, really impressed with this leaflet as well. So it's a real joy to be in a church where mission isn't something you have to apologize for. You know, you guys here are involved in intermission. So it's a real joy to be here with you this evening. Said this morning, Baptist missions, what are we about working together? changing lives. It's all about partnering together. And we have all sorts of partnerships with the mission, too, with other agencies here in Ireland and in France and Spain as well. But Baptist missions, as I said this morning, can't exist without our churches and our association working and praying and serving together. It's not my mission, and hopefully, and well, it never will be, but it's really your mission in terms of the churches together working. Well, what are we seeking to do in Baptist missions? Well, our basic aim is to obey, if you like, what Jesus has told us to do in that great commission. Proclaiming Christ, making him known, making disciples, not just converts, not just decisions. Big issue up here isn't it, about being saved, right? You used to hear that phrase and I came up here a lot, are you saved? Now, we know what that means, don't we? Um, but we're not just about seeing people saved, as in praying a prayer, and there's another, another decision. We're seeing people being discipled people coming to faith brought to God by the Holy Spirit and be nurtured in the faith. And that's something that goes on uh, all our lives as we were hearing from Andrew this morning. And then we gather those disciples together and really the Great Commission can only be obeyed, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you. That can only happen in the context of local churches like this, can't it? We're not saved in isolation units to go and live our Christian life by ourselves, me alone, myself, um, we're saved, we're brought into God's family, we're brought into a family to be discipled and to grow together. And so we're about the business of planting churches here in Ireland, but in France and Spain and in Peru as well. And as you heard from Andrew this morning, we're in the business too of training leaders, particularly in Spain through the ministry that Andrew's involved in. And he wouldn't say it himself, but I do believe that that ministry that Andrew has for the land of Spain is a key place that he's in, equipping Training pastors who go on to teach other people in churches, who go on themselves to teach others in the future. And so it's a real uh, um, crucial ministry in the land of Spain. I mentioned this morning those churches in the Republic that have been formed um, under God and God's doing, God's leading, by God's grace. You know, you look back at situations, I look back at my 18 years in Cork, and you say to yourself, you know, only by the grace of God is anything done. Only by the grace of God we're here this evening. We've been singing, we've been remembering that this evening. But it's only by the grace of God and the mercy of God we have seen what we've seen, and yet there's so much more to yet see, and there are places where we long to see God at work. And you know, the gospel does change lives and impacts communities. Um, let me tell you one little story about two guys in Yall. Um I was with an old, an old lady one day, coming to Christmas time, giving her a calendar which you usually give out, and uh, I was talking to this lady in her home, um, and um, she started telling me about her grandson his name was Simon. And she said, will you pray for my grandson? He's getting in trouble, trouble with the guards, he's drinking, uh, getting into trouble the weekends, he's been in court, etc. Will you pray for Simon? He lives in Ardmore. <clears throat> so I committed to pray for this guy, but I actually said, look, can I pray from now with you? Um, and this lady, being from a Catholic background, for her prayer was something you did in church, um, but here was in her home by her fireside, prayed for grandson, Simon, that God would somehow intervene in his life. Well, I committed the church to pray to. Months went by, and um, a lady started coming to the church with her daughter, who heard about the church through her uh, Her daughter heard about the church through her friend in school. Came to the youth club, brought her mom to church. Then the church brought her son. Uh, the the woman brought her son to church. Then, on Christmas Day, very reluctantly he came, and then a couple of months later she came in the door with her daughter and son and another guy. And after the service, I went to talk to this fella and uh, asked him his name. He said he was Simon, and he was from the village of Ardmore. You know, I sometimes am slow, and sometimes it takes a pain to drop. But I thought, hey, this could be the same guy. And turned out to be the grandson of this woman back six months previous that we began to pray for. His father heard about him coming to church in Yaw and thought, you know what? My son's in enough trouble with the guards. I've been in court. I don't want him joining a cult. Never heard of a Baptist church before. Never had a, had a Bible in his hand before. This man then began to come to church with the, with the one desire, only one aim, to stop his son joining a cult. And the first Sunday he came, he heard somebody speaking from 1 John chapter 1, and he was gripped. Never heard the Bible spoken about before. And he left that Sunday saying, okay, whatever happens, I'm coming back next week to hear what happens in chapter 2. And he came back. God began to work in his life Picked up a little leaflet, that was 2010, called The Final Goal. Began to read his way through that during that course that summer. And God brought that man, Philip, to himself. We actually now call him Philip the Evangelist. And here's the thing. His mother, who was the lady, obviously, who originally the prayer started with, Mrs. Mulcahy. When we produced a little leaflet with Philip's testimony in it to give out in the town or other places, her mum, who's not a believer, went into all the shops where she's well-known by all the shopkeepers and friends and neighbors, giving out the leaflet about her son. She was evangelizing, if you like, her neighbors um, because she was proud of the fact her son was in this leaflet. Um, And neighbors of mine, who I've been talking to, uh, began to read that leaflet too. It's just amazing how God worked. But you know, the son Simon, as far as we know, has never come to faith. But God has been at work in his life. But his friend, who was also in equally much trouble, And I ended up standing in the dock in Waterford Circuit Criminal Court one day, pleading with the judge not to send these guys to prison. One of those guys today is on a short-term admissions trip in Hungary. Can't speak Hungarian, but God is using him in Hungary to help with a church plant over there. So, you know, sometimes we get the big picture, and I've given you the big picture tonight, but I've also given you the insight into the fact that when God is at work, lives are being changed, and it impacts and changes communities as well. Um, and I had, uh, we had John Blanchard and y'all a couple of, a couple of years ago for a lunch uh, meeting. And the solicitor, and here's how God works, the solicitor who's involved with those two guys through all their cases, all their court appearances, all the rest, he came to the John Blanchard lunch and he bought four of John Blanchard's booklets. His name is David Keene. You could pray for him. God's really at work in his life as well. But he wouldn't have been there if we hadn't been at all the court sittings and all the rest. So God has a way of working. A real joy to see some of those churches founded. And last September, to see the church in Nina, in County Tipperary, um, coming to the Twenty-three founding members. I don't know how many members um, founded this church here. Um, But I know, for example, Newton Breed started with 13 members. Um, So um, Nina's not so bad, 23. Uh, Maybe God will grow that church uh, beyond itself. And and they have a real vision, not just to reach into Nina, but to reach beyond themselves to other places as well. Back in January, the last of the churches to be formed most recently in Cork was in Kinsale. Uh, And on the 17th of January, the church in Kinsale came into existence, again with 13 founding members. Pray for them. As they start, do want to take you to Europe and fly you very quickly. Um, if we could all get on a plane, it'd be great, wouldn't it? For a couple of hours and head to France and Spain. There's the figures, folks: 100 million people living in France and Spain, 100 million plus. And yet, there's urban areas of Paris with 100,000 people living in them, where there's no gospel church of any kind. Talk today about the magazine trying to raise the issue of France, and there's I tell you what: the free copies of the magazine went this morning. Uh, I had to tell Billy Cobble that's the way to get the magazine now. Give them out for free. Um, (laughs) Nigel, don't tell him that tomorrow. I'll be in big trouble. Uh, There's one copy left. So there's one magazine left. If you want to see me afterwards, I'll leave it out on the desk at the back. And you can have that copy. But in that magazine, we're trying to raise the land of France. Um, And, you know, I was at a conference um, about 10 years ago uh, in France that was trying to look at how do we stop the flow of missionaries out of France so many missionaries are leaving France. And sadly today, Baptist Missions, we don't have any missionaries uh, in France anymore ourselves. We are partnering now, uh, and hopefully more so in the future, with Philip Moore, who's in France, uh, now working with Acts 29. Um, but Philip went to, to France as a, as, a, as a pastor, not as a missionary, um, but he's involved in church planting, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. I gave you those statistics this morning, those of you who are here. Oh, go back a second. Because I think they're quite... Startling, aren't they? Oh, well, that's not staying there. Okay. Go back. Right. Well, anyway, it's one church in France for every 32,000 people. Um, and, so, and it's probably the same, not maybe so much here in Belfast. I so know times are changing. But in terms of somewhere like Bangor, you're 40 times more churches in Bangor than in France. Um, so supposing you were a believer tonight in a suburb of Paris with 100,000 people, and you were the only believer. Okay. You're the only believer amongst 100,000 people. Now, supposing you knew of a place a couple of hours away by plane where there was hundreds of churches, hundreds of people. In fact, there's churches like this one whose young people can't come in anymore because the building's too small and you're going to build a bigger one. And there's Christian bookshops and there's Christian coffee centers and there's Christian conferences and there's all sorts of stuff. In fact, any weekend, there's probably you have to make a choice as to what Christian activity you might go to. Supposing you were that one believer in this other place, among 100,000. And you knew of these places not that far away. What would you like the people in those other places to do for you? If you were that one believer amongst 100,000, what would you like them to do for you? Come wow, folks in winter. No, you're not shy. Go and help. Tell others. Okay, thank you, Richard. Anything else? What else could you, would you like people to do for you? Pray, pray for you, yeah, because it'd be lonely, wouldn't it? be hard, it'd be tough. Anything else? Yes, exactly, come and visit. That'd be great too, wouldn't it? Now, folks, you know what? How many people have been on holidays in France? Wow, look at that. Look at that. Now, I don't know what happens to you when you go on holidays. I know some people switch off. It's almost like, you know, hey, I've got away from now, Right? I was in France that 10 years ago, and I brought 10 copies of Ultimate Questions with me. Now, I'm, I'm a dreadful linguist, okay? can't hardly. I'm trying to learn Spanish now so I can converse when I go to Spain and Peru. But my prayer was, Lord, lead me to people over these next... So I was there for about six weeks that I can have some kind of a conversation with that I can pass on these 10 Ultimate Questions. And here's what I'd say to you tonight. If someone like me, with my lack of linguistic skills, and actually I had two German copies in the last campsite we were at we ended up camping, lashing rain. Even in France, I thought, this isn't France. It's raining. Um, but the last campsite we were at, the last person we met, lady pulled into the camp, camp, uh, tent next door. Wherever she's from, she's from Germany. I had my last German ultimate questions left. But you know, if someone like me can do that, folks, people like you can do that. And I think when you're in Hollies in France, link up, link up with an evangelical church and try and pass on something of the gospel to the people you meet uh, when you're there because it's amazing. Uh, that can happen. Let me take it. Oh, I'm probably pressing this too. There's Philip Moore and the Church, training, church Planting Training Center in the church. Langley in Paris. That church is about 30 years old. Um, The building was built on a site that was originally offered to the Catholic church, but they said they didn't want it, Uh, and the the Baptist church built a building on it instead. Uh, It's a superb building, and they've got this training room. And from that church, like I said this morning, they have planted at least three other churches in the process of planting more. And you know, the next church planting person that Philip is training, he's training him to go in, and he wants him to go into an area where Muslims and French nationals have been radicalized to be sent out to Syria and other places to seek to plant a church in that area. Now I sat around that table and when that plan was given, I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, hey, that is not me. That is not me. But their view is, listen, the gospel needs to go into those areas too. People in there need to hear the gospel. People need to hear about Jesus and lives to be changed and transformed. So you pray for them. And I was really encouraged um, when I was there that weekend in Paris just to see what God has done. Um, Because rather than it being the kind of big, oh, France is a real hard place and really difficult and tough as it is, yet here was God at work. Lives been changed, people have been touched, and churches has been established. Um, and they have a vision to see more being done, more churches being reached, and more places. And I met this guy, Matthias, on the Monday morning. You can see the renting of a building. It was a former dance studio. In fact, the mirrors were still there at the end of the room. It was really cool because I took a photograph of the guy standing talking at one end. It looks as if they're down at the other end because of the mirrors. But uh, um, former dance studio, mirrors, no car park. And yet, across the road is a mainline train station into Paris. And Monday to Saturday, that train station, car park, um, you have to pay, but on a Sunday it's free. And so God's provided them a car park. And the first time they met together, there were 53 people came um, to their gathering. Um, And the sale of Bibles in France is at an all-time high. There are more Bibles being sold in France today than ever before. So again, a bit like the Republic, we have a lot to give thanks to God for and yet a lot more to see. And when you pray for those guys, the guy on the left of your screen, um, Francois, has only been a believer about a year or so. He's the first guy to be baptized in that new little group. And yet he was one of these guys, you know, he's a plumber, he's a carpenter, he knew all this kind of stuff. And there he was that day, you know, working away, getting that building set up, ready to, 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 uh, to meet it. And, um, Mentioned Andrew earlier. He was here this morning, so I'm not going to say a whole lot about them, but just pray for them as a family and pray particularly um, for Ruth uh, and the kids at, and over these next couple of weeks as Andrew is away here in Ireland. But I want to talk to you about the Elias tonight too again down in the south of Spain in there. And uh, they're a couple who actually aren't really employed by Baptist missions. They're not really Baptist missionaries in the sense that we don't support them. Um, they're what's called associate missionaries. Now, I'd love to see the Elliots coming on board fully into the mission and um, funds permitting. But, you know, when I talked to Andrew Elliot about that last September and said, Andrew, I'd really love to see you becoming a full, fully employed Baptist missions worker. This is what he said to me. He said, Mervyn, if you can find or raise or somehow that extra funding comes in, I'd rather you send me a person to come and help us than to send that support to us. He's already got two towns that they're looking into where they want to see a new church established in towns where there's nothing of an evangelical witness as far as they know. Um, Now, that challenged me, and I hope it challenges you. And I'd love to be able to get to a place where Andrew Andrew Elliott's been fully supported and we're sending maybe another couple or two, to go and work with them in the south of Spain. And uh, they also have a ministry reaching out to to Muslims coming across from Morocco, coming into Spain as well, and seeking to reach into them as well. And that team I mentioned this morning, if you're over 18, there's no upper age limit in this team. Although it's a Baptist youth team, it's also a Baptist missions team. So there's no upper age limit. But if you're over 18 uh, and you can speak some Spanish and you'd like to join that team, then contact Baptist youth or come and see me afterwards. We'd love to have people joining us on that team on the 29th of June to the 13th of July. Instead, I said this morning, Johnny Young is leading that team. Johnny and Hannah go out on the 4th of May for a three-month internship uh, with the church in Renneth there, and Johnny's going to go on then to lead that team uh, in Algatheras. So please pray for them and pray for that team and pray that God will really use that team. They're hoping that they're really going to spend most of their time reaching into those two new towns beyond Alga Theris, um during the two weeks that that team is on. I want to fly you. It takes a little bit longer to get to Peru. It's a 12 and a half hour flight as I discovered. I thought it was a 10 hour flight. I don't know if you've ever had this thing before. But I got on this plane thinking 10 hours. Oh, and I looked at the screen in front of me and it said 12.5. Oh, that was just psychologically disturbing. Um, but anyway, got there in the end and really enjoyed uh, my time in Peru. We've got two families in Peru at the moment from Ireland and about 15 national Peruvian workers that we support um, in Peru as well. Pray for the Morrow family, um, Trevor and Christine. Uh, their, their daughter, uh, Rebecca, is now in college in Missouri Baptist University, and their son, Andrew, has just moved to Lima, started um, but two weeks ago now, uh, in his new school in Lima, basically his, his, his um, A-levels, he's really in lower six, I suppose, the equivalent is to here. Uh, but pray for them as a family. Obviously, Trevor and Christine in Ilo, uh, in, on the coast in the south of Peru, um, Rebecca's in Missouri, and Andrew's in Lima. So they're a, a family separated by many miles, and do pray um, for them, and uh, pray for the work of the camp center that we have there in, in uh, Itay. And uh, pray for Trevor as he seeks to help. There's a church in, in, in La Pampa, in Ilo, where the pastor just moved to Lima. So he's helping that church at the moment look for a new pastor and trying to help that situation as well. So pray for them as a family. Christine has taken on new responsibilities. She's now the head, or they're called coordinators in Peru. She's the head of the English department in the school that she teaches in in ILO. Um, so please do pray for her. She's had lots of opportunities to, to, to speak to students and to staff in the school. She actually uses the Bible. It's a Catholic school in, uh, in ILO. She uses the Bible as one of her main textbooks in teaching English uh, in her course. Um, but do pray for, for uh, Christine in that very key, vital role there in Elo. The other couple we have in Peru is John Baru. Um, I don't know about you, but as a teenager, I heard of John Brew in Peru, okay? And John Brew, to me, doesn't look any younger or older than he did 30 years ago. Um, And married to Lourdes, who's a Peruvian national. And do pray for John. John works in the seminary that we have in in the city of Tacna. 400,000 people living in the city of Tacna. And yet a real joy it was for me to go and see some of the churches. This is one of the churches on the edge of the city, um, Palabra de Vida, it's called. Do you imagine an open space um, and real dry and dusty. It hasn't rained there for years, um, and uh, real dry, real dusty, and people just coming in from the mountains, coming down from the mountains, and the city of Tacna now, which I think maybe 20 years ago had maybe 10 or 15,000 people living, now 400,000 people. It's a huge urban sprawl. And all those children there, and there were many more as well, um, and five or six other classes. There's, there's a, a picture of some of them. None of them coming from Christian families, from Christian homes. Uh, none of their parents coming to that church, but kids just coming in from the street, from around the area, being reached and um, pray for them. And uh, you know, I was really challenged. That's the pastor's wife on the left of your screen, Emeretta. Her husband, Quintin, uh, had a medical problem and uh, was unable uh, to get the medical problem sorted, just d- purely due to lack of finance. Um, and as a couple, they're living on approximately two hundred and fifty pounds a month now the cost of living in peru is less as i discovered it's great eating out in peru is fantastic because you you know it's it's a lot cheaper than it is here Um, but there was a couple really struggling and uh, i was glad i had some mission funds with me was able to pass on to them he was able to get himself checked out and he hasn't been fully uh, brought back to full health and strength yet but pray for them as a family as they seek to reach out into that community there's the center of tacna So it's not all dry and dusty and barren. You've got your palm trees and it's beautiful. And Peru isn't this kind of backward place that maybe some of us think, you know, Paddington came from darkest Peru. Um, But it's not, you know, uh, it's not kind of uh, as maybe as dark as backward maybe as some of us have thought in the past. Beautiful place. People are very friendly and God is at work. And the church there has grown tremendously. And Baptist missions over the years, we've been working in Peru up to 90 years come Uh, i think it's two years time we'll celebrate 90 years of work in peru and hundreds of churches have been planted particularly in the sierra in the high up in the mountains areas peru churches that were established 50 60 70 years ago that are still in existence today and those local peruvians getting on with the task of obeying the great commission to their own people and yet it is a church it is a place in progress this is a bit like what you'll see all over the city of tacna Uh, it's kind of like construction site the whole place because what people do is they buy a plot of ground, they build their first floor, and then they've been to save money until they build their second floor. So, but they put up the steel girders and everything for their second and third floor. So it looks like a construction site everywhere you look. But the church is like that in Peru as well. It's grown tremendously, and yet there are difficulties and problems there, and there is a need for real leadership and training and help as well. But you know, there are more believers in Peru today per head of population than in France, the Republic, and Spain Combined. Okay. So we may think of darkest Peru, and I'm going on conservative figures. They reckon that about twenty percent, some people say twenty percent of the population in Peru are evangelicals. Now, if you even have that and say, okay, let's let's be conservative and have that and say ten percent, that still means there's about three million believers in Peru. And I actually said to some of the churches in Peru. that that some of the churches in the Republic will give their left arm and their right arm for even half of the buildings that they have, some of the churches have out there. Um, And I also said that maybe God will raise up people from here to come to places like Spain and help evangelize Spain uh, in the future. Uh, And that is a real and strong possibility. The Peruvian church is now sending out missionaries across the world. So it's no longer us... You know, the guys from here, from the Western world, going to do our thing in somewhere like South America. It's God actually raising up now, because people have gone from here, and the gospel has gone out, people have come to faith. It's now God raising up people from those countries too to take his word to others. Here was a lady whose husband died about two years ago. He was a pastor we were supporting in Peru. Um, And after he died, we decided we would continue to support his wife, and his family. And I had an, an afternoon uh, with her and one of our boys and she just said her English wasn't great and my Spanish wasn't great but we managed between her broken English and my poor Spanish and really I came back with a message just from her saying thank you for all your love, support and help that have been given to me and my boys. She's four boys um, since Freddie went to be with the Lord. And that's some of the giving that goes to Baptist missions from a church like this. That's what it goes towards. Helping a widow like uh, Epi to cope with the loss of her husband and with the need she has um, uh, to help him or to help uh, her family through that difficult time. Well, we're back to the Great Commission. And in the last few minutes we have together, I want to just read um, Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 to 20. And I want to focus in for a moment or two on these verses together and think about what God would say to us here uh, in Windsor, here in, in Ireland as we consider his call and his mission to us here locally and globally as well, as we consider what Christ has to say to us. Let's just read these verses together from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Early in Matthew's gospel, the cry goes out, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? And Matthew's gospel is all about the coming of the promised king and how to enter into his kingdom and how to live as a person in his kingdom in the here and now. Towards the end of Matthew's gospel though, we find the king on his throne nailed to a cross as we've remembered this evening. His crown is a crown of thorns and all seems to be over. Two of his friends, as recorded by Luke in his gospel, Luke 24, are going home from Jerusalem, back to Emmaus, downcast and dejected. And their cry is, we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. However, what we know now is that he was the Messiah, and he did defeat death. And the angel said to those women who came to the tomb, he is not here, he has risen, just as he said. And 40 days later, he assembled those early disciples and gave them his global mandate, which turned their world upside down. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, was what the two on the road to Emmaus thought. But God had a much bigger vision. Christ had a much bigger vision. The reigning, the risen, conquering king gave them a global mandate that was not only given to them, but was given to us as members of his church here this evening. And you know, while changed, lot has changed in our world since Jesus gave those first words to those early disciples, technology, travel, communication, and all the rest, the essential need of mankind has not changed and never will. The need of a rescuer, the need of a deliverer from sin and its awful penalty of death in all its three ugly dimensions, spiritual, physical, and eternal. The need for people to, res- to be restored to God, to know him, and enjoy him forever, to be part of that number that no one can count from every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation. We see those early disciples obeying the risen king. They worship the risen king. He declares his authority to them, and he gives them a worldwide briefing, promising to be with them until the end of time. And so we go today, as Trevor Harris says in his book, The Great Omission, we go with all of his authority to all nations, teaching all things, and he has promised to be with us always. So as we enter into the third millennium of the church, there is a lot of confusion as to what our mission as disciples of Jesus Christ really is. What are we supposed to be doing? And there's lots of things being done today in the name of Jesus— that bear little or no resemblance to what he's told us to do. So this evening I want to suggest this. One of the things we need to do is remember the mandate that Jesus has given to us. Remember our mandate. Their commission then is our commission now, and it will not change. Dr. Albert Moeller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville in Kentucky, has written these words, We need to hold our nerve on the gospel. And as unpopular as it might be or might become, we run the risk of marginalizing the one thing that makes Christian mission Christian, namely making disciples of Jesus Christ. Can I suggest this evening too, not only do we need to remember our mandate, but we need to remain on message. What is the message that Jesus has given to us? Well, we see it, don't we, in the pages of the rest of the New Testament. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, both Jew and Gentile. He writes in Galatians, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, but I was taught it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And interesting, we find in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, don't we? When that great persecution comes across the church, that the apostles stay in Jerusalem, but actually it's the ordinary people who are scattered and sent out across the world. The apostles stay in Jerusalem, but actually it's the Joe Soaps, if you like, the you and me's who are sent out into the world, and everywhere they go, as they go, it says, as they were scattered, everywhere they go, they preach the word wherever they went. So we need to remember our mandate, but we need to remain on message, the message of the gospel. And as we remember our mandate, as we remain on message, can I ask us this evening, do we need to reorder our priorities? Here's what Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert say in their book, What is the Mission of the Church? We believe the church is sent into the world to witness to Jesus by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations. This is our task. This is our unique calling you see brothers and sisters this evening there's lots of people in the world doing lots of good things doing all sorts of things to help this world if you like and that's fine but you and i as believers as you go back out into your workplace tomorrow into your school into your college into your street into your communities wherever you go as a christian you have a unique responsibility and you have a unique opportunity to bring this gospel to other people atheists out in Africa. Digging wells and doing all sorts of good things, that's fine. But an atheist can't pass on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone like you and I can if we belong to him this evening. That is our task. That is our unique calling. They go on to say, we want the church to remember that there's something worse than death and something better than human flourishing. If we hope only for renewed cities and restored bodies in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so, folks, while we should be involved in all sorts of things that help our communities and so on, as I was and y'all involved in lots of things and lots of ways of helping the community, helping the community to, to get better, helping those guys who are in trouble with drink and with the law and all the rest, ultimately what we want to do is bring this eternal message from our eternal God that will help people, not just in this life, but help them in eternity as well. As the church so loves the world so loved by God, we will work to relieve suffering wherever we can, but especially eternal suffering. And folks, I think that's something that we all need to be reminded. I, as Baptist Missions Director here this evening, I need to be reminded of that too. That the people around us that we meet on our streets, that we see and so on, are not just, if you like, in difficulty in the here and now, but ultimately, without Christ, they have no hope for eternity. And that's something, I think, that we all need to be reminded of again and again and again. I once heard the story of a man who was a traveler um, going around a neighborhood in Kinsale, which is quite a... Kinsale has some very um, posh houses. A friend of mine used to say, you need a visa to go up the driveway, Um but here was this traveler um, looking for scrap metal. And one of the neighbors of this man whose house he was in saw his van at the, end of the, at the end of the house and decided to call the guards. Because after all, if a traveler's there, he's got a van, what else could he be doing except stealing stuff from somebody's house? And so the guards appeared at this millionaire's home, knocked on his door, and asked, was there a problem, was there a difficulty, and so on. And the man said, no, it's fine. Um, I'm just having a conversation with this gentleman. There's no issue at all. The traveler turned out to be a Christian. And here's this millionaire in his mansion, four top-range cars in the driveway. And here's this traveler who was looking for scrap metal, sharing the riches of Christ. With this man who, in the world's terms, had everything, but actually, in reality, he had nothing at all. Friends, as the church loves the world, as we love the world so loved by God, yes, let's do all we can to help relieve people in their suffering. But let's do ultimately all we can to relieve people in their eternal suffering. The greatest need in any community is for a Bible-believing church. And I believe, like I said earlier, the Great Commission can only be lived out in the context of a local church. So how is this church here going to impact the community around you. I know you are already. I know you're looking towards moving down the street. And I, my prayer would be that when you, if that works out and all happens, and you're down there. And in fact, I heard, talking to my in-laws today, um, my f- father-in-law asked my mother-in-law to marry him as they left the ma- majestic cinema on the way home. Um, <laughs> and I think he did it on Windsor Avenue. So there you go. Um, I said to him, he needs to be at the opening service of that new building down when it comes, comes to be. But you know what? Won't it be great? If God then takes that building and uses it, not for Windsor Baptist Church to have some great big place to look at and admire, but it becomes a place that God uses to impact the community around you. That's ultimately what it must be all about. Friends, there are challenges ahead in Baptist Missions just like you've got challenges ahead here in Windsor. And some of my goals for this year are maybe beyond. Um, I'd love to see 500 new people getting our prayer news. Now, it was great this morning. Can I say you passed the test? Now, I don't know whether people thought they had to fill that thing in or what the compulsion was, but there's at least 50 names, I think, extra. So I've got my 10% of my 500 just being here this morning. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I've brought the clipboard back with fresh sheets, all right? Um, and there. Uh, I know it won't have his main names on tonight because most of you filled it in, but if you don't know and you'd like to be added to the Baptist Missions Prayer News to get every week, then please do add on. I'd love to see a thousand more people giving. Now, I know this church gives, so I'm not going to harp on about this this evening here. But you know what? If I had a 1,000 more people giving 25 pounds a month to Baptist Mission, not only could I wipe out our deficit, which seems to be hanging over our heads for years, but also we we could begin to plan strategically about sending people to help Philip Moore in France, about sending people to help Andrew Elliott in Spain, about sending people to some of the towns and places in the Republic where there's still no gospel witness. And I'd love to see. If you're under 35, now you can't say this the other way around. Say over 35 people won't do it, right? If you're under 35 here this evening, would you put your hand up, please? Up high. Great. Okay, now I'm going to speak to all of you for a moment, right? Let me tell you this story. There's a prayer meeting not too far from this building on a Friday evening that three ladies go to. It's one of the most encouraging meetings I've been at since I started in this new role. The lady running it is 78, but she began the prayer meeting when she was 20. And for 58 years, her and her friends have gathered to pray for missionaries across the world. Not just Baptist missionaries, missionaries from across the spectrum. It was a real joy to gather with them one Friday evening, these three ladies, and I tell you, just listening to them pray, I was just challenged by the amount of information they had and what they knew and their burden for countries across the globe. 58 years that lady has been running that prayer meeting. But here's the thing, those three ladies won't be at that prayer meeting in 50 years' time. They'll be in glory. Unless we begin to replace a generation that pray and that give, who are over 50, let's say, at the moment, with a generation who are 35 and younger, then sooner or later, we're not going to have people anymore praying and giving and going. So those who are under 35, I've got a special invite for you. Tuesday the 12th of May. Now, if you've got exams the next day, don't come because I don't want your parents ringing me the next day saying, oh, you know, right? But Tuesday the 12th of May at half past seven in Lisbon Baptist Church. But isn't that far away? Not too difficult to get to. And Andrew Reed's wife, Ruth, will be there that evening. Um, Andrew Elliott from, from uh, the south of Spain will be there. And Philip Moore, is working in Paris, will be there. Three people working in France and Spain will be there to tell us what God is doing in those places. Now, you've got your phone with you. You've got permission to take it out and put that date in your diary and the time and so on and come along. Now, if you're over 35, you're welcome as well, um, okay? Don't make, let me put you off. But if you're under 35, I want to give you a very special welcome to that night, please. I'd love to see 100 new people under the age of 35 at that. There's the prayer news I mentioned this morning, the sheet's going around. Some of you are filling it in. And I've taken too much time, but I'm going to end with this. Listen, what are we about remembering our mandate, remaining on message, and maybe reordering our priorities in the light of the fact that Jesus has told us to be involved in this business? It's his business of taking his gospel across the street and around the world. The king has spoken if you belong to him this evening, if he's your king, then I can encourage you to be involved in this great task of taking his gospel across the street and around the world, that others may come like those early disciples to worship him too.